Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Four Seas Around the World. This is our chance to hear from our four Charlies at different locations across the globe. A chance to hear about the different missions at each location. And a way to give our four Charlies a voice to discuss their unique roles at, across the AFMS. I'm Master Sergeant Jonathan Becker, Flight Chief at Whiteman Air Force Base Mental Health Clinic. And I'm Master Sergeant Vanessa Buecher, Flight Chief at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling Mental Health Clinic. Listen in as we get to hear stories about how our fellow four Charlies came into the career field, the different challenges they have overcome, and their goals on where they want their career to take them. We want to ensure people are able to get a better picture for how operations are at different locations and to also have four Charlies discuss some of the very unique missions out there to include SEER, different embedded positions, working at the brig, working with the MTIs, and other missions that are available to us in our career field. What we won't be doing is discussing by name issues with other members in our career fields, enlisted, off, officer, or civilian. And we will not be swapping stories about patients. So please tune in and hear about our four Charlie experiences. And let us know if you have any feedback for us, the hosts, or our guests. Thank you again for tuning in. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Sergeant Buker, I'm here with Sergeant Becker. I'm really excited about our guest today. But before we get into that, um, congratulations, Sergeant Becker, on getting picked up for first sergeant. I didn't get to say that last time publicly on the recording. Are you are you having fun down in maintenance being a first sergeant? <laughs> you threw me for a curveball. This was not in the script. I, know. I appreciate Try. that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I will say this. I was in maintenance for a week and wore my blues more than uh, I did in the last two years in the med group here at the Whiteman. So that's, that's, some, that's how it's going. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you very uh, much, ma'am. And I Whiteman am should be expecting. Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say, I am excited for today as well. This is a really yeah. cool uh, story and opportunity. So I just, I wanted to say I'm excited to hear, hear about this um, this program that we had that is going to be brief. So I'm sorry, go right ahead. No, you're good. Um, so our guest today is uh, Caitlin Tinsley. We're going a little off script. Um, she was in the Air Force um, a couple of years back. She actually was my first troop. Uh, but what was interesting about it is she's actually a 4A. She is not a four. She was not a four Charlie, um, but she did work down in the mental health clinic, which is why how I ended up with the awesome opportunity for her to be my troop. Um, and since being a, um, in the Air Force, um, she'll talk about her experiences as a 4A and things like that. Um, after getting out of the Air Force, she started an amazing uh, nonprofit program um, called Homefront Room Arrival. Um, I'll let her talk about it because I don't want to do it any kind of disservice. Um, and then from through that, she also won the 2019 Spouse of the Year for the Air Force um, and has been championing mental health um, needs and resources through her nonprofit. And so uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity to get her on here um, to talk about those kinds of things. So welcome. Uh, I don't, I'm so used to calling you Tinsley all the time. <laughs> I don't know how you want me to address you throughout the whole thing. Um, but why don't you get started and tell us where you're from, kind of give us your journey. Thank you. Um, you can call me Kate or Tinsley or Caitlin. <laughs> you like 
Cool. Um, so uh, thank you for having me today. I'm really excited about this. I know this is a little different for you guys, but um, so much of my story and how I ended up here today really started from um, my experience in the Air Force and um, even working in the mental health clinic. So uh, my Air Force journey, where did it start? So I um, entered the Air Force a little bit later in life. I think I was 24. Um, I graduated from University of North Carolina at Wilmington with a finance degree during the worst time ever to graduate with a finance degree. <laughs> it was and um, I needed to get off the beach. I lived down in Wrightsville and life was really good, but I really needed to get off the beach and get a new adventure going. So this sounds like really kind of crazy, but one night I ended up um, coming home and saw this commercial on TV with people skydiving out of jets in the sky. And I was like, that is what I want to do. <laughs> so I went to the recruiter's office the next day and I just enlisted into the Air Force. Um, I went and opened general and I didn't even put in an application for OTS. I kind of felt like I would find myself through um, the challenge of being in the Air Force and then figure out what I really wanted to do next, which is kind of a crazy story of how I got in. But I was really lucky that once I um, got into basic training and tech school, I ended up getting placed into the career field of health services management um, and stationed at Lackland Air Force Base. Um, I was one of those kind of cliche airmen where immediately the first night I go out, I find the love of my life at a bar. <laughs> um, he, my husband, who is now my husband of almost 10 years, um, but it was a rodeo, so really classy. Um, in the middle of San Antonio, he was stationed at Randolph and I was at Lackland and we hit it off right away and he had been in a little bit longer than I did, but we ended up getting pregnant almost immediately and had our first child. Um, well, before that, we actually, uh, he received orders. So we we're like, oh no, you know, we have to stay together. We're mill to mill. So we ran off on a lunch break into a downtown chapel in downtown San Antonio and got married. And the rest is history. No, <laughs> just kidding. So once we got married, um, we started out kind of at the ground roots of our like Air Force family life, which for me, I came into the service with no more than a backpack on and I didn't have really anything. Um, and my husband, he lived in a three bedroom house off base and uh, had one couch and a TV and that was it in a three bedroom house off base. And I thought it was a joke at first, but he really only had a couch and a TV. Like when I went upstairs, I was like, is somebody else living here? Like, cause there's just nothing. Um, so once all of um, we got started in our life, we ended up like many others kind of being reckless in our finances and overextended on credit card debt to purchase a few pieces of furniture for the house. I had to have a mattress to sleep on because I was not sleeping on the couch with him. So we went out, we bought a mattress and a bedroom set and, um, you know, a kitchen, a dining room table. And next thing you know, you know, we were just not smart. And I even came from background of finances. So I don't know what I was thinking. I, but, I was going to um, say you, you have a finance degree. I just want to point that out at this point. Oh, I know. Okay. I, know. I just want to, I just want to make sure. I, I really want like, I know, I think a lot of people do this. Like you get really excited when you, you start out in your life and you get a house and you just want it to feel like home. So it's really difficult to sometimes like restrain yourselves in 
purchasing extra things and being financially responsible when you really want that sense of, of home. Um, so for us, we, you know, overextended on debt on purchasing those pieces of furniture. But at that time, I really, for whatever reason, was not really connected into uh, resources in the community of thinking like outside of the box. Like I didn't really know about um, the airman's attic. I have no mm -hmm. idea why. Um, but I just, we just didn't. So to get the bare minimum to have our home set up, uh, we ended up extend, uh, overextending on debt. So then a couple years later, um, we end up trying to get stationed closer to home and come to uh, Seymour Johnson. And because uh, my family was actually followed me to college. So they were all down in Wilmington and he and um, Mark ends up deploying and I'm uh, a 4A working in the mental health clinic. Um, my background before I came into the military, I was a uh, sexual assault victim advocate and did hospital advocacy work. And I actually was an EMT um, growing up in high school. So I had a background in being a first responder and in situations like that. But when he had deployed, it was a really high tempo um, going on at work. And I was pregnant with our second child. And I actually, when I found out I was pregnant, he was in transit to his deployed location. I couldn't even tell him because it was that awkward intermedium of um, deployment. So um, I started dealing with some of my own mental health issues when I was working in the clinic. and. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when you work in fields like that, you take care of everybody else before yourself. And sometimes it's really hard to admit that you have a problem. Um, so for me, during that period of time, I felt the support of my work center, but I didn't really have like an outside support center um, of like really close friends outside of work or spouses. And really what I was going through was almost more from a spouse angle than from an active duty service member angle of being able to come home and, you know, not have that outlet of having my husband there and um, running after a, a two-year-old and just like uh, really decompartmentalizing what went on during the day. Um, so I, I had a really hard time starting to cope during that time. Um, but one of the things that I was able to pull myself out with was uh, falling in love with the creative arts. So I started to really um, kind of went back to things that I enjoyed and found myself during the deployment on the other end of kind of coping with my mental health, uh, which was starting to paint my walls and decorate and I realized this thing called curb alert existed on base where um, if you don't know what that is it's when people move and they leave their whole house outside on the curb just assuming another family would pick it up mm -hmm. um, well the pieces that we didn't have for our house I was able to go and find on the curb and then started you know falling in love with the creative arts process of repurposing them and upcycling them and during that period of time, I was able to kind of pull myself out of a dark place of um, through the arts. So it was also during that time that uh, it was Christmas and I didn't put up a Christmas tree for my two-year-old. Like I didn't have the energy when I came home from the end of like, I think we were going through a lot of exercises. Like it was just a wild time. I didn't have the energy to put up a Christmas tree, which is something that like, it's like, why would you like looking back, like, why would I not have the energy to do that? But I just didn't. And so um, 
when I ended up separating from active duty, I was getting my MBA in project management and I had this project that was due and it was like create a business plan with, um, you know, broken up into project tasks. And I had this idea that was like, you know, if I could create a business on, you know, my military experience and something that I thought was missing, uh, why don't I try to do that? So I ended up coming up with this project of uh, creating different project activities and a program of what I thought was missing in between military life. Um, so for me, going back on my story, I over, you know, the furniture thing. So many families come into the, like, I started thinking like, if I dealt with this, I'm sure somebody else dealt with this. And I saw it on being both like a spouse and an active duty service member. So furniture, like furniture is not provided stateside. Many houses don't even have washers and dryers. And, you know, if you have to prioritize getting a washer and a dryer over, um, you know, a sofa or a couch or a bed, a lot of people are going to choose the washer and dryer because you have to have clean clothes and clean uniforms. So I thought, you know, what about this program that you know, what if we started picking up all this old furniture on the curb left between military moves and uh, repurposing it back for military families in need? And then I thought, you know, also when um, my husband was gone, I didn't put up a Christmas tree for my kids. I didn't have the energy. So what if we came up with a program that would help provide outreach to these families that were going through adverse deployments or unable to get home for the holidays and just be, bring that sense of community to them? Um, so that was another thing. And then the friendship um, element, like I said, I felt the support from my unit, but it was really hard to meet people outside of that um, and really link into that. So through those three like adversities that I felt within the military, I came up with a nonprofit organization called Home Front Room Revival, um, which started out of my garage and grew really quickly out of my garage, where we started picking up all those furniture pieces left over to military moves, taking it back to um, my garage at the time, and then hosting like community get-togethers of volunteers who wanted to repurpose these pieces into custom works of art and, you know, home, um, home furnishings for other military families in need. So we started taking in referrals from the military community of individuals who were going through adverse deployments or struggling with mental health or who um, needed third party uh, community support services to help them really integrate into the military. And from there, um, we grew that program as well as Deck the Deployment, which was holiday home outreach for deployed um, family members and service members who were going through adverse times during the holidays to put up Christmas trees and holiday decor and bring community to them. And then we started these life skill speed funding which is literally anybody together meeting friends and uh, speed friending activities over a fun food pairing and a creative DIY art. So the entire program of Homefront Room Revival started in my garage and now four and a half years later we are in, we are gratefully um, blessed to be on base at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base and over 2100 square feet of studio space hosting open studio hours for these families that um, we choose into the program to come in and work on these pieces side by side with other families that are going through similar but different life transitions in the military 
And um, with that, the program has pretty much uh, exploded and helped fill a huge gap in uh, community support services for military families as a holistic well-being um, outlet to cope through military life and connect into others. So that is a lot. You just gave I know. a lot there. <laughs> First off, that is, that is awesome. That sounds seriously like a great program where, like you said, the underlying thing is bringing people together just to help each other out. And to me, the, the furniture piece and the other stuff is kind of like a, an added bonus, right? The, the biggest thing is getting people together. And I think that's a fantastic program. Um, we do have some questions for that. I, like you said, you, like I said, you gave us a lot there to unpack. A few questions real quick as we jump into this. So you, you join, I'm assuming around 2010, 2009? Uh, 2010. 2010, okay. So how was it coming in 2010? You have your finance degree. You watch this commercial about people parachuting out of airplanes and you get into an office job. How was how that reality setting in for you? I mean, I don't know if I ever really thought that I was going to parachute out of the airplanes. It was just like, it just looked like fun. And I was like, like a fun camaraderie. I needed that sense of um, belonging and community when I came in. That was a huge reason on why I came in for the challenge and um, kind of finding myself through, you know, doing good for others and the military uh side note to that which is kind of interesting when i was stuck in between joining i actually almost went into the peace corps which is quite in the opposite direction but i always yeah i always had that fundamental like i want to help others um feeling so getting set in an office job um it all worked out like it's funny how life just like transitions and just works out i i enjoyed it i like I always say like the best thing I ever did was join the Air Force. And then being a 4A, clearly the best job you had as a 4A was working in the mental health clinic, right? Of course. <laughs> no, it really was. Like I absolutely loved working in the mental health clinic, but it aligned perfectly with my, uh, my past work history and passion projects for me of, you know, I, I was able to become a SARC VA through the Air Force when I was, uh, when I was in there. And I was also doing like community um, volunteerism through, you know, domestic violence. And so I had a history of working alongside uh, environments like that. So it was not that tough of a transition for me until it, um, until certain events started hitting the fan <laughs> a little bit and my um you know I was going through I started going through my own issues with my husband being gone and being pregnant I think like I you can't dismiss the pregnancy hormones out of any of it it was just a lot well and, yeah and we had a lot going on at that time first we had some pretty significant like I mean we are all like the high acuity across the Air Force right now it's it's the real thing, but there was some pretty significant cases that hit home for a lot of folks with um, a, a, a patient that had been, was on trial and has since been convicted of um, neglect murdering his eight month old. We oh had gosh. exercises for two months straight every other week where we were put on 12 hour shifts um, leading up to an ORI. 
um, that's everyone's favorite acronym if you're old school, <laughs> um, because they had missed so many exercises and then we were, uh, because of weather and things like that, and we were failing. So for two months straight, every other week, everyone was doing 12 hour shifts. She was, like she said, she had a two year old at home and she was pregnant. I mean, like we had some legitimate, like a lot of stuff going on at that time. Um, but shout out to her because, uh, I mean, we had a lot of conversation and stuff during that time, but um, I look up to uh, Tinsley very much because she was, I mean, this is why it's so important for us to check in with our folks because she came across more strong than she's um, now sharing more in-depth story about everything. Um, uh, so with that, I mean, as, as for Charlie's, we get tons of trainings where we always talk about like care for the caregiver and all that kind of stuff um was there anything that we didn't do or anything that um we did do right as the mental health community to support someone that like you had the background so like you did have some of these trainings and stuff but if we do have forays working in our clinic how can we support them because we have to remember that they're getting exposed to the same things we are um but not maybe getting the chance to highlight it or, you know, uh, get the trainings that we do and things like that. So is there anything we, I don't, could have done better or we did do well? Um, I think like looking back for me, um, I, I honestly, I felt like I was a 4C the entire time that I was down there. I mean, I feel like I was really involved in a lot of things. I was invited into you know, the high interest meetings. And uh, I feel like that also helped from an aspect of being able to like compartmentalize things. So I knew more about what was going on um, from taking phone calls and being involved with the patients. Um, I also remember that was really beneficial was we did have like wind downs of, you know, I don't want to say circle time, but you know, or <laughs> it essentially was. <laughs> yeah, like, like, uh, we had decompression moments, but I mean, it, the, there was a lot going on like at that point. And I don't, I don't think that there was anything that like the clinic could have done more. I just think like there was more of like looking back and what fueled like me establishing so much of the organization was, you know, different outlets to cope outside of official channels and for me that was falling in love with the creative arts and finding an outlet to cope through it and i think more programs um, on that aspect across the board for military families and service members just uh, better helps the community um, not only like in coping but in establishing friendships and circles where you can lean on other people outside of your work center for support um, during those times. Like, I, I mean, you guys were all awesome to me when, when that was going on. I remember so many people being like, you know, are you okay? Do you need anything? But I didn't, in my high functioning anxiety that I have, I mean, I would not show that I was having those issues that I was having. And at the same time, I would never feel, and this was just me, I would not feel comfortable in feeling like I could um, place an additional burden on someone else in trying to help me outside of that when I know everyone in, in that environment is going through like a lot and trying to like handle themselves and um, decompress at the end of the day. 
So like for me, it's really, it all comes back to just having like additional outlets to cope through um, the military outside of official channels and more ways to meet people. Yes, and I agree. And um, uh, especially because when you PCS or it's when you're new to the military, you get to your first duty station, or even when you PCS from one place to the next, um, you may only, you, you only really either, if you're by yourself, you don't know anybody or you're only going and you only have your family, it's hard to get out in the, uh, get out there and find things um, and where to go, especially when <laughs> in, in our field, just, you know, for the four Charlies listening, like people sometimes don't want to be our friends mm-hmm. um, because they're like, oh, you're an alcohol and drug counselor or, you know, <laughs> you work in mental health. Um, so it, that can be challenging. But and then there's dozens of lists of, you know, the spouses that come through and um, don't hear about the different programs that are out there and things like that. Yeah, I would I would say that was a big thing too. Like even though I was a 4A, I was like kind of the face of mental health. My voice was on the answering machine. Like I was, <laughs> I'm laughing because you know where I'm going with that. Um, but um, there, just for the folks that can't see, everybody is laughing. Like I would go into the grocery an store joke. and people would recognize Ned. That the through and the different avenues of um, support and being brought into those circles and not being because I worked in mental health I was dealing with those same situations to feel the support of of you guys of being brought into um, you know those uh, support you know the talks of what was going on in the clinic and everything that helped me a lot and I hope that that is um, something that is going on across other bases where 40s are not necessarily fully looked at as like an outsider in the mental health, but somebody who is, you know, also an attribute and needs to be involved in these decompression. Um, I don't know why I keep saying circles, but like the, just in those coping mechanisms within the unit. Well, I would say it's not a circle, it's a team, right? So exactly. everybody, everybody plays a role in the clinic and in, in part of the team. With that being said, do you ever feel like your role as having that prior experience with um you said sexual assault uh victim advocate and then being a four alpha in a four c world do you ever feel like the lines got a little blurry on maybe what you were doing that you should have been doing or things that you kind of like took upon yourself to be like hey you know i know i can help this person oh i definitely think i was pretty much on the line probably with almost everything with that because I did have such a background and I think I was kind of like enabled through the unit to utilize that a little bit more. And also times where, you know, we were going through those exercises and it was short manned where I was a 4A, but I was still doing triages. Like there was just different things that were going on within the clinic that were, you know, outside of definitely the typical uh, career field that a 4A would do, but I was, you know, able to perform on to to uh just to plug at the time we added stuff to her after um training and stuff like that it wasn't (laughs) there was still oversight to be clear (laughs) for anyone listening there were no laws broken (laughs) no i was was on every fully it was logged (laughs) 
No, no. So, so my, my point to bring that up is that, you know, um, yes, we have people that are trained to do certain jobs, right? We have people with specific AFSCs and they have, you know, the, the, the training plans, but when you work in certain environments, right? How many times are we taught in the military to utilize everybody's assets, everybody's background, everybody's, you know, you know, experience, right? So we want to use that. We want to make sure that we are a fully capable team. It's just making sure that we're doing it in the, the most correct way. But it sounds like too, like you said, making sure that you're being included, not only in the, hey, we're going to work you, but also, you know, we need to make sure that you're relaxing and decompressing as well. Um, and I think that that's in a lot of different teams dynamics is, hey, if we're going to come together and work together, we need to make sure that we also somewhat relax and enjoy it together. I'm not saying that people need to spend every moment outside of the clinic together by any means, because that would lead to more trainings on potential workplace violence. But um, yeah, you would have more people maybe decompressing together and seeing that, hey, you know, it's, you know, it's Sergeant Becker in the clinic and sometimes it's Sergeant Becker outside the clinic, but John uh, deals with stress and copes with things in this manner, or that's how John perceives things versus, um, you know, what you see on a day-to-day basis. So I do, I do think it's, there's a valid point there. Um, so first off, you know, I, uh, you know, we, Bridget and I, we have three um, rambunctious kids and, you know, we, her going through her pregnancies, um, and while we were overseas, you know, I, I couldn't have, and I, I've known a few other uh, moms uh, that are active duty that completely rocked the job and rocked being a mom and being pregnant during that time. And then their spouse is deployed. And that's when things kind of just all sometimes happen. And for you to work through that, I think is a huge, huge testament. You know, even though you said that maybe it was not the most ideal way to manage it you still managed it and you still made it through it and I think that's a huge accomplishment a huge achievement and I think it does it does highlight the fact that hey you know I'm fulfilling so many roles at this one time that I am yes I'm during the day I'm you know Sergeant Tinsley right you made it to staff sergeant sorry yeah it's during the day I'm Sergeant Tinsley and then I come home and now I'm supposed to be mom and then oh yeah I'm trying to connect with my husband who's downrange and now I have to play spouse And it's, to me, that's a lot of roles to fill on a daily basis. So I think that that's, to me, insightful that you're like, hey, the biggest role that I had the hardest time with kind of adjusting and I needed help with was being that spouse, was, hey, I needed more support in this realm. Who are my other spouses that have been through this that are going through this with me as well? Yeah, I think that was a big thing. And um, during that time, like I said, I had, I had the support of my unit, but like, I didn't, I didn't know about the key spouse, the key spouses. I really never honestly like identified myself as Tinsley but also like as the spouse and like I really never saw that dynamic or those issues until you know I needed that support system so that really was a big thing in like leading into establishing the organization as like an inclusive community to like connect create and cope together was you know in the studio now there's absolutely no rank outside of like the E5 dynamic that are coming in that are selected clients for the furniture. Mm-hmm. People put on a name tag and you have no idea who anybody is. So it just feels like a safe place for support and a safe place to connect for with others and learn about other, you know, 
other people's transitions through military life and the military life cycle and be able to ask for a like help um, towards in a safe place environment for resources and whatever else you need. And I never felt like that existed before I had created it. And so let's, let's kind of talk about that. If you don't mind, let's talk about that transition. You, you, when did you actually get out of the military? Um, I got out of the military in November, 2014. Yes. 14. Okay. And so 2014, and I, and I know that we spoke a little bit beforehand, you, you, you had been through ALS, you had made rank, you know, made staff sergeant, you, you said you won the Commandant's Award in ALS. So I mean, you're doing a lot of positive things in the military. So the decision to get out must have not been something that you took lightly, I'm assuming, correct? Um, it was a really hard decision. Uh, I think um, ALS kind of did it for me in a lot of different avenues. Um, I was really excited to go through it, like really excited to win the award and everything. But it was during those times, like a lot of my, you know, I, like my mental health issues were not gone. And I ended up getting um, personally diagnosed with ADHD and okay. started having panic attacks. And um, I like it was manageable what I thought was manageable but when I went um I was going through my MBA and I went to go put in a commissioning package and um it was denied due to um my health issues they had to be like stable so for me that was like a just an ultimate sign of you know maybe there's just another um route that I should be taking right now for my health and for my family and my husband was still in so I kind of felt like I had one foot in and one foot out for the last several years. Okay. So you, you make that decision to get out. Um, you, you have this, when did you start the program? Like you were talking about in your garage? Oh, that was, um, let's see here. Uh, well, we I founded the nonprofit in, um, Mar May, 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. So maybe I got out in November, 2000. I don't know, don't quote me on dates, but I know I founded the nonprofit in um, May 2016. So, okay. yes, over four and a half years ago. So, to me, that's a huge undertaking by itself to get out, switch roles, right? You going from, you know, being the active duty person to now kind of filling that, that spouse role and filling mom role, but still kind of recognizing that, hey, there's this, there's this connection that, people may still be missing that you went through. So to me, I think that's a huge undertaking to, to put together and to say, Hey, this need is still there. Cause you could have just kind of walked away from it. Right. Yes, definitely. But I think, I think for me, like knowing I went through what I went through and kind of like the issues that I saw on so many different ground levels, I just, it started out as a passion project and then really, developed into um, a, you know, coming up with an outreach methodology, which would have worked for me. So for example, when we go and meet, before we take anybody into our program traditionally, um, and they reach out third party to us for help, these are individuals who have fallen through other cracks that are looking at us like, it, you know, we're not official military channels, which I think just uh, presents itself as being a little bit more approachable to some. So um, with that, we 
have like an outreach methodology of what would have worked for me. So I don't know that I would have like come out to something before I would have met somebody during like my darkest times. Like I kind of would have been more responsive to somebody coming to my house and trying to bring me out. So that's what we do for the clients that we work with. We're going, you know, um, setting up appointments to go meet them in their house to figure out how we can best help. And what starts with a level of sometimes of, oh, I need, you know, I don't have any furniture or my husband's deployed and I'm having a baby and I really you know, I would love for somebody to help me create a nursery or a changing table and I don't have any money. When we go and we make those initial interactions through the house, it kind of establishes more of like a friendship rapport where they feel um, connected into the group, the community, and then can learn resources from there and feel more comfortable to come out to the studio and actually work on the projects alongside other families. So I think like the biggest thing with this entire pro um, project and program that I started was I like, I fully believe in it because every single level of what has been established was something that I personally experienced as missing from my own military life experience on being not only an active duty service member, but a spouse. So it's, so just to be clear, so it's more than just somebody or more than just uh, spouses or individuals going to the studio to refurbish um, uh, furniture to connect. It's actually you guys going out and helping people in their houses or helping them connect them to other resources on base. Yes. So kind of the way the whole project works is through our website, um, people and word of mouth, individuals will reach out to us who um, like our clients, A5 and below, who mm -hmm. Um, are new into the military, a really high uh, uh, trend that we have is like first year airmen. So if you look at statistics of um, first year airmen, if you um, go, if you're a brand new airman into the military and you have to uh, transition to a base and you do not have a family, you go into the dorms and you are provided with a certain level of mentorship and um, you know, development and skills on military life before you can even get out of the. I've never seen that exist with families. So you on the same exact level, same airman that comes in who has a family just goes into housing and is kind of like does not have that access to mentorship and development. So through the program, the main individuals that we target are, are um, they're E5 and below, but it's usually like those first year um, airmen at the base. Another trend would be uh, individuals who PCS from overseas. For whatever reason, you know, resources from base to base differ. They're completely different. You can go um, come back from overseas and for whatever reason, somebody tells you that there is a loner's locker or something at the base that you're going to, or you don't find out that you know there's furniture overseas in base housing, but you don't have that ability over here. And moving expenses like can go over ten thousand dollars sometimes for individuals PCSing back stateside. So those families um, are within like our trend of who reach out to us for support. So they'll you know hear about something through a Facebook channel or a social media channel or through their neighbor, and they'll write in with their military story through our website at www.homefrontroomrevival.org and um, ask us for help. And then based on our capabilities, we'll choose who we can um, take care of at that time and um, contact them back, set up an appointment for a home visit, and go meet them and see how we can best help. And like I said, 
every situation is completely different, but it opens up that rapport of having people feel comfortable um, to see us as approachable and uh, to um, really fill in that gap of individuals who would not have gone through other agencies or have found out about other agencies because they're finding out about um, us through social media and just like word of mouth. So it's it's a lot more than just um, furniture. It's just that like, who doesn't want a nice house? Who doesn't want like not to spend a lot of money on furniture? That's just like the shiny thing that kind of drives people into the program. But once they're in the program and in the studio, they're able to connect with um, other families that are going through similar situations. And at the same time, the doors are open to the studio two, at least two days a week for volunteers to just pop in on a steady schedule, which can drive like other individuals out of points of isolation into something that they know is just a safe place environment to connect with others um, at any given time during the schedule that we have open. So it's something that's continuous, where we actually have a 92% rate of um, individuals that come in as clients who stay as volunteers to help like the next family who we're in. Oh, and awesome. uh, yeah, and, and through the program, through that, and then the, um, they all work together. So like, that's like our program furnishing hope. And then deck the deployment with the holiday home outreach. Uh, traditionally we average about like eight um, different families during December that we're able to go and um, help decorate their homes with and then those individuals might come out to the studio afterwards so it all kind of fuses together and then like the life skills speed funding socials individuals come into that and that's like a natural word of mouth marketing mechanism where somebody comes into that and it's like completely rank free and then they're able to tell somebody else that they know about the rest of the programs or they're in that environment and um, every time we open up like one of those socials, or, like our life skills socials or our creative um, arts programs, we say like, you know, in this environment, it's a safe place environment, but I promise you like, there's so many people in here from different walks of military life. If you have a question, somebody in this room can answer it. And we have music going, it's just such a relaxed environment that yeah. it brings a lot of people together to connect and um, cope in a way that otherwise does not exist. So one of the, and again, it sounds like a fantastic program. One of the questions that I ask, and maybe it's just because I, I do have that kind of for Charlie mindset, what happens if you get into that situation where there are concerns where you probably should notify, you know, whether it's a, a family advocacy resource or a mental health resource? I mean, what happens when you guys get in that situation where there's concerns about, you know, maybe, you know, neglect or abuse or other mental health concerns? I mean, how do you guys navigate that, those situations? So we are non-reporters, um, the same way like a spark would be a reporter, um, but we do have those limited guidelines where we will circulate so many people back into resources and if something like that happens, we will notify, I've, call, I've notified um, first sergeants and um, key spouses and we will be that direct handoff, uh, fortunate knock on wood, we have not had any um, immediate life-threatening situations, but I have followed somebody to a dog park to uh, know they were meeting with an MFLAC counselor. Um, so this also is a very uh, empowering program where we're not necessarily like hand-holding, but we're providing them with the resources and the tools um, where like that individual didn't know about the MFLAC. Um, yeah. there's, there's people that are in the studio right now um, 
that are, you know, new brand new military families come here from COVID that have not been plugged into anything. One's about to have a baby and I handed her the brochure for bundles to babies. So like you're coming in for one thing, but you're getting connected into so many other things and making a support system of friends in the process to be able to call when you need help. Because otherwise a lot of these individuals would not have found that um, otherwise. So this program again, sounds really, really awesome. How do we get it from Seymour Johnson and other bases? Uh, rally. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it. Um, we, we have a model that is completely uh, reputable across the entire Air Force. Uh, it's really just getting it. Um, base commanders just have to request for it and um, we can try to set something up. Half of it's a nonprofit and um, it's attached to an LLC for um, the support of community managers that are as skilled as myself on different resiliency programs and community resources um, to manage it. So we're, I'm, I'm ready to bring this across the Air Force. It helps so many people. Like we've done over 82 rooms, but within like that 82 rooms, there's been over 500 people involved. Oh wow! And the, yeah, the individuals who come into the program through the open studio environment, um, say like we have two days a week where we have the, the open studio environment. So there's families working side by side, but those volunteers are also in the studio almost as secondary um, program uh, clients because they're also benefiting from the connectedness and um, the, you know, a, a proactive mental health mechanism of not, you know, having somewhere to go to not feel isolated. One of the really interesting things that uh, we've been uh, researching through this is after every single life skill social that we've done, which in the last year has been like, I think we're at almost 20 and they've been like pretty large scale with over 20 people on average. Oh, wow. um, we have surveys and they're booking up, like they're booking up. We've got wait lists for individuals who are trying to become program clients. We're just like, our capabilities are just maxed out right now. Um, as a volunteer force, but I feel like we're only scraping the surface on what can happen. But one of the really interesting things is we take surveys after everything. And of the life skills socials, there's over 40% of people that answer our surveys who say that they um, do not feel connected into uh, the military community or, or um, squadron unit resources. I feel like that shows something huge. And then if you go back and you measure that against other, um, you know, other, uh, their metrics, like the Blue Star Family Survey that came out last year that said that over a third of military families do not feel that they are, um, you know, have a neighbor to ask for help or somebody in the military community to ask for a favor. I mean, that shows that there's something that is not being addressed within the military community. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and just like, um, I think it's great. It just shows how well this program is doing for folks when you were talking about how um, they may have came into the, the program as being a client as somebody that um, you provided um, a, a room renovation or whatever, and then they realize that there is that connectedness and that resource to be able to go 
and um, and then turn around and be a volunteer and stay connected with the community. And then I think also, um, you know, we're talking a lot about families and I think you brought up a really good point before. Um, so I'm mill to mill and you were mill to mill um, where it's, it's not just about dependent spouses as well. And so um, just to keep that in mind that even though even if, even if you're in the military role you're still a spouse that might have somebody deployed that might still need to utilize a resource um and so ha being able to plug into somewhere um i, I just think that's uh, it's just wonderful the studio also um we have you know netflix set up and a couch and toys and it's uh you know families can come and bring their own kids or we also have off-base child care partnerships for free for volunteers or clients um, upon reservation which can also help bring people out of their house and you know mm -hmm. go back that i'm doing this you know coping for themselves um during deployments that's a that's also a big thing and I think like the mentorship element of the studio is like such an asset. So a lot of times what happens is people just start painting and then they just start talking. And it is the most natural connection that can happen because you're not just sitting there. So just say you go to the military has tons of resources and you know, a bunch of different events, but nothing's really like continuous on several days a week. Um, or, you know, in an environment that it just to a lot of people it could feel stuffy. Um, so when you are in a, an art program where there's music going and individuals are painting, it just naturally opens up a lot of conversations. So a couple, um, one of our clients last year, she was a um, active duty single mom um, with um, two dependents who uh, had disabilities. And through the grapevine, somebody that she worked with had suggested that she come, comes into our program. Um, so she comes into the program for furniture, doesn't have anything for her home. In getting her into the studio and starting to talk with her, we find out that she is going to doctor's appointments far away and has um, been sleeping in her car to bring her kids to the doctor's appointments. And did not know, did not know the approachability of a first sergeant and that she could go and feel safe explaining what was going on in her personal life with her first sergeant until she came into the program and we guided her there through her just opening up over conversation with painting so i think like a lot of that that's just one example there's a, a bunch of um so there's also individuals that come in and um there's a minimal couple that we we did a um that we took into the program and they were both in the studio working on the pieces side by side with each other and they're and they're connecting bonding having fun um you know creating this piece for their home right before they end up having a baby and in that they're also learning you know thrifting lessons and you don't have to go and you know extend on credit card debt you can go into you know the curb or the curb alert the facebook groups and we're teaching them how to like affordably furnish their homes and at the same time they're not getting an additional debt so i think that like when you start to really like this program's almost like an onion <laughs> like a really shiny onion and you start like peeling it back and you know then you have all these different layers of things that were hitting 
that a lot in my experience, military programs are kind of set up to be very retroactive. Even when you look at the creative arts community, which now, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at Walter Reed with um, creative arts therapies for individuals who have TBI or um, PTSD. It's all just very retroactive. So I think this kind of brings it back to being a proactive, approachable program where we can try to help address issues before it gets to that point of crisis. Um, you know, bringing people out of their house. There was somebody that we did a um, project for a nursery and um, she had reached out to us that she didn't have any um, any nursery furniture. She was going to give birth like as soon as her husband got back from deployment and we ended up going into her house and in meeting her, she starts talking to us, telling us the only time that she has gone out of her house in seven months was to the grocery store. So we're able, so now she has a rapport with us and she's able to come into the studio and meet friends. So I think it just taps on so many different things that like there's just not enough of a a drive in like looking at proactive resources. I mean, military mental health is like very outreach driven, but I mean, unless you're going up to a table, how are you really touching those individuals? This is kind of backwards where we're going to their houses. Yeah. But I also think that face-to-face -face aspect and having them do something that's not just going to a briefing and opening up a conversation, you know, a lot of people are stuck behind their computers um, and fortunately, um, like, so I follow you obviously on Facebook and everything, and I know that your doors are back open since COVID and stuff. So it, it brings people back out of their house and it brings people out behind, from behind the, the computer and to, to work on something together. Um, and, and again, like you said, have that conversation because I, without going into a social media, like spiral <laughs> conversation, mm -hmm. um, but people get stuck behind, um, and we really miss that face-to-face -face connection, which we as human beings need, um, you know, that sense of belonging and things like that, all these things that we know, and I, it, I think your program really highlights and is showing through your numbers and everything you've just talked about how, how it's working. So I think that's great. Um, and so I know one of, uh, Becker had asked before too, is like, how, how would people be able to get that at their bases? Um, like maybe reaching out through you, um, how can people get something like this started? Um, yes, so it is, we, it is a whole program set up. So ultimately it ends up coming down to a commander wanting it on their installation. Um, and then the way that the Air Force is driven is MOU bound to whatever commander wants on the installation. So I would say before it even got to me, it really would be having the, um, the conversation with different installation commanders on trying to get the program at the base. Because we've had a lot of people reach out for trying to set it up, but I mean, this is not, this is a program, it's not a club. There's just a lot of dynamics that go into fully facilitating it. And it does, um, to me, like we could break it up into elements where you don't have a studio, but I think the studio is such an instrumental part of it because it does not feel like you're on a military base. It's set up like a friend's basement. Yeah. <laughs> like you just feels different. And now with the connection center that we're in on Seymour Johnson, which just was finished, we're in like this innovative first of its kind connection center, which houses the airman's attic, a Cinderella's closet, which is ball gowns and evening gowns that you yeah. can use, a food pantry, 
um, we're on the other side and then the whole middle is a connection zone for remote workers so it's like um a first of its kind connection center for as a soft uh, entry point into Air Force resources. And ultimately that's what our entire program ends up providing. We're not trying to compete with things that already exist. We're aiding them in the process of working better. And I think like, you know, with installations in my experience and from what I've learned um, from others are just not set up engineered into a model like that where you have you know military family life centers over here and airmen's addicts so everything is just very spread out and not as like a one-stop shop for connection and through what we have um through our programs and now like the capabilities of the connect four on base at seymour johnson it's really able to facilitate more of that natural gravitation into other resources where individuals will go into the airman's attic and then they'll be like, oh, what is this? And then they'll find out additional things that exist naturally by hearing like Bob Marley music playing over there. So it's, <laughs> it's just like a, um, we put a fun face forward, um, but and you know, into like a shiny onion where there's so many more things that are going on than what meets the eye. And I market this completely differently towards the military than I do on social media. So sometimes it's kind of hard to see past, um, you know, this fun, colorful art program that looks so DIY. And I'm not, um, you know, we're not trying to really market people's individual personal stories because that's what allows them to trust us and have the program grow the way that it does. So it's just um, a very different marketing strategy and trying to explain how this is res so resiliency based and um, an innovative methodology that could be carried across the Air Force and really help so many military families. So I, I, I think we're on the same page with saying that it's definitely a program that we would have, but in order to get the wing commander to sign off on that, I mean, do you guys have like talking points or stuff like that, that we could like get from your website to say, Hey, this is the data that Seymour Johnson has found that they have used. Um, obviously the center that you're talking about sounds like kind of like the golden goose. Like obviously we can't ask for them to build the whole new center, but to say, Hey, this is the, this is where, what they have, um, but this is the program that we would like to have here, and this is why X, Y, and Z. Is that something on your website that we can pull down and just kind of take? It, it's not on, on the website, but you can reach out directly to me. Um, it's I have a, a business plan that is in the form of an unsolicited proposal. That's the legal way, um, legal path forward into getting in onto different military installations. Gotcha. Because really, um, you know, we're, we're hitting on a lot of things that are otherwise, um, like missed and captured as a need for the Air Force. So through mm -hmm. the proposal route, um, I was able to maneuver this through Seymour Johnson and have it, um, viably legal yeah. <laughs> as, a, a, a potentially a mission requirement. Um, so it's just reaching out. So we'll make sure that we get your contact info if you're okay with that and put it on the link whenever we post uh, whenever we post this podcast to our group so that way they have your they have the website they have you know the contact info in there and that way they can reach out to you so that way they can get those talking points so that way when they go brief the boss or you know as they start to ch take it up the chain they have you know maybe some of those data points that you're talking about with the surveys and to say hey this is kind of what we what we see here um, because I, I do you know, just 
in a few of the events that I've done around the wing at Whiteman, that's kind of always been a common theme is, hey, you know, what about the spouses? Can the spouses participate in this? Or, hey, you know, we have spouses asking about this. We did a, um, we did a private organization fair recently uh, about a month or two ago, and we made sure to make it a point to have the, the key spouses there. Um, so that way other folks knew that, hey, this isn't just military. This is, you know, also for spouses as well as the other um, private orgs like AFSA and AFA that allow any member, whether rank or active duty or spouses to join as well. So um, I think that'd be great if they could reach out to you, get that info. Um, I'll definitely be asking you for more details to push to some of the folks in our community here at Whiteman to see what we can do to get it going there. Um, kind of switching gears here one of the questions um that i kind of have is so you you've got this awesome program it's it's you know it's it's doing a lot of great things for a lot of great families and how did it feel to be recognized as the 2019 spouse of the year like how what, what's that feel like how does that like is that just a phone call you got and okay like, hey, congrats or um it was such an honor um i a, a complete honor and a surprise. Um, I was referred, I guess like referred, um, submitted by two prior clients um, of the program. One was a, one was a family, um, a family that, well, here, here's an interesting story. Um, she had reached out to us for uh, help furnishing her first home. And upon meeting her, we come to find out that her husband's deployed. She just gave birth to her second child. And uh, she had the keys to her first house, but had all of her stuff in storage and no one to help her move in. And her husband was due back from deployment. So when she gave birth to her um, first child, she didn't have any response from anybody from the base. Somebody who ultimately completely fell through the cracks. And she just reached out to us for help in anything in furnishing her home. But upon having those other conversations, we find out like so much more. So we were able to like link her into, you know, her unit who just had no idea that she had any of these things going on. It wasn't that they didn't want to help, so they just didn't know. Um, so she was one of the individuals that had uh, actually, um, I guess, uh, submitted me into the award. Um, somebody else was a volunteer who came out and benefited on behalf of being a secondary program client. Um, it, I received the the um, nominations for it and you have to accept or deny it. And I was like, how do you, how do you deny this? This is so sweet. So I was just like completely honored to have been um, awarded the platform to really be able to talk about not only the program, but other issues that I think exist in the military that are gaps that are not really being addressed. Like that, like I, like I brought up before about, you know, the military views first term airmen is like dorm airmen but what about those first term airmen that have families like mm -hmm. there's just a lot of gaps that exist that i just do not think are fully captured and in what we're doing we're able to really like naturally like measure it to a level by having people provide the feedback that they do um, naturally so i was super blessed to be able to um, win that award last year and meet people that I never in my life thought as Staff Sergeant Tinsley <laughs> would be meeting or presenting <laughs> to our general. So it was pretty cool. And you got a pretty big briefing coming up this Thursday, you said, right? I do. I was invited to speak at the um, Air Mobility Command uh, conference. So I'm presenting that virtually um, on Thursday out of the studio. Oh, wow. 
yeah, I'm really, I'm excited about it. It's, um, it's, it's a complete blessing to have the platform to talk about all of this, but to really explain the impact that's being driven out of the programs at the studio and like how, I mean, we really are, we're barely scratching the surface because this is not integrated into, um, you know, official channels at all. Um, mm -hmm. We're, we're doing this all through social media and um, word of mouth and events are booking out with wait lists over social media within like 24 hours, which is oh, wow. kind of crazy. Um, and then, you know, we have wait lists of individuals that are reaching out to us for help, but we just, we can't do everything because right now it's, unfortunately, I'm still at the grassroots point of having um, a volunteer force and in the development of the program and the growth of it there, it's just, it's not sustainable as something that is just solely um, volunteer based. And I think once we get into you know, where family advocacy is suggesting clients into us and yeah. um, the first sergeants are starting to put in referrals because we only know what we know. Um, I think the impact driven from a proactive angle before it gets to, you know, crisis mode is just huge. So I, 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 do, I do agree with you. And I think that it is something like you said, proactive is the key, right? I, I do think that there's a lot of folks that probably agree is that we get a lot of these, um, a lot of these programs kind of shoved down our throats and the intention is good. Maybe when it first comes into um, the idea con uh, conception phase where it's like hey this is what we want to do and then it goes down the you know the line and it's kind of like now it's turning this reactive phase but I, I do agree in the proactive phase um, you know as you were saying that you know I, I think like newcomers and FTAC are kind of proactive and that they try to link up people with resources around the base but especially with the COVID situation I know for our base specifically um, the newcomers has been now pushed to a video and uh it's kind of like you know hey you know can you do can you do your 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 30 to an hour long spiel in about five minutes i'm like well what's the point then <laughs> we're just appeasing the the afi gods to say that we did our we did our intro but you know a lot of that's kind of lost now due to covid so i think having the more proactive programs that we can is definitely more beneficial um so switching gears again what's next for the tinsley family um, trying really hard to have this grow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is, I mean, it started as like a passion project, but I mean, it's just, it, it's helped so many people that I have such a vision of having this grow, you know, across the air force. And I might've like skipped over this, but before we were gratefully, um, blessed to have, you know, the donated warehouse space and studio space on Seymour Johnson, we were downtown in a tiny little art studio space at our arts council. And we were doing this throughout the state of North Carolina for different branches in the oh, DOD. Wow a blogger picked up on what we were doing. So we we're getting referrals in from all over. Um, so it, the issues that this all addresses is completely like fluid across the Department of Defense on things, on gaps. There's not a base in the military that doesn't have like this, and this is like, it kind of drives me crazy. So I have to like touch on this a little bit, this curb alert issue. So what people do not realize is that if you leave your furniture on the curb and in this culture of like the assuming another family is going to pick it up, there's no recycling program in place. So if there's furniture in your house on the curb and somebody does not pick it up, it goes into the landfill on trash day. And that in itself is like 
a huge issue in the green air force that we live in um <laughs> nobody nobody's talking about um the recycling which i know is like a tiny little thing on what we're doing but um there's that's just like a different avenue of something else that this touches on so i think like i i really just hope i'm able to really get the word out more about the program and having it viewed as uh prevention but like like real prevention in a safe place environment that yeah. you know really facilitates as a soft entry point into traditional air force resources we're not competing with anything we're just pointing people back in the direction who fall through the cracks I think that's wonderful. And I think it's, it's just, I love your story because you took what you could have sat there and just, you know, talked a whole bunch of smack about different things that happened to you in the Air Force and just, you know, but you recognized the gaps and you took what you went through and turned it into something to help other people. And I think that's just absolutely amazing. Um, and I think it's just a wonderful story. Um, and which is why, um, um, thank you so much for coming on our, uh, coming out and, you know, talking with us and sharing that story, because I think that that gives a sense of hope, I think, to some people. And then we as in the Fort Charlie community can take that and, and move that forward and maybe even apply it to some of our own, uh, our own lives and things like that, because a lot of people were, you know, everybody has not everybody, but there are a lot of people have families and stuff like that. And they can share these stories with their family and friends and stuff like that. So I just think it's awesome. Thank you. I mean, the power of art is really like a mechanism of like healing and being able to open up deeper conversations. And I think facilitating that in a fun little onion <laughs> is just a way of opening things up a lot more and you know, could drive different programs and different creative outlets to exist throughout the military. Sweet. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, uh, sharing your story, uh, what you've been through, um, and kind of where it's taken you and where it's going to continue to take you. Because I definitely, I, you know, you're, you're giving these presentations at these big name um, uh, events, I feel like it's not done. And I feel like it's going to be hopefully coming to as many bases as we can get it um, from somebody who's been overseas and then back stateside. I, I can see it definitely taking off stateside um, uh, just because there is that need of that camaraderie uh, for, for you know, the spouses. So um, again, the, the, the program is called Homefront Room Revival, correct? Homefront Room Revival. Yep. You can find them online, www.homefrontroomrevival.org. They have a Facebook and an Instagram page uh, at Homefront Room Revival. So please check that out. We'll put the link in there. Um, if you have any feedback, obviously we'll put uh, we'll put Miss Tinsley's information on there so that way you can reach out. Uh, but again, thank you so much for sharing, and I can't wait to see where the program goes next because it sounds like it's definitely taken you know, it's going to be taken off. So thank you again so much for coming on and sharing that with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. And if you guys have any other feedback for us, please leave it in your comment section. Uh, until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.